You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Hey, good morning. Good to see you today. Well, uh, we've been in the, uh, the letter to the Galatians now for over two months. And um, we have about a month to go. We're two-thirds of the way home from this letter. But I want to share with you this morning that I believe by this time, um, maybe if you've been here for even a couple of the sermons throughout this series, even in this, these couple of months, um, you should by now be able to know what we mean when we say the word gospel. Now, the word gospel, this almost sounds ridiculous, but the word gospel in what I will call the evangelical community, um, that word has almost become overused, misconstrued. Um, I know people that they'll gospel everything. And so you start to kind of go, what do you mean by that? Well, we mean, and we mean this because the scriptures mean when it uses the word gospel, which means good news, We are talking about that we are all sinners, and because of this, God's redemptive plan, which he set in motion from the beginning of time, was to send his son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross so that he could atone for or pay for our sins. He not only died on the cross and paid for our sins, he rose from the dead. So we not only have victory over sin, we have victory over death. And that new life is still offered to you and I today. That's good news. That's the gospel. Now, here's part B. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, as a Christian, you should be able to articulate the gospel in 60 to 90 seconds. I just told you what it is. And so you should be able to communicate that to somebody in about two minutes, however simple or complex you want to go with it. And here's why. First of all, if we have the hope of Christ, then we ought to be ready, willing, and able to share it with anyone who does not. Also, I would assert to you that if you are a follower of Christ, you should be able to explain what does that mean, right? Um, also, if you can't explain the gospel, and, and what I'm about to say to you, I do not say this judgmentally. I say this because um, it needs to be said, and you need to really prayerfully consider this. If you can't articulate or communicate the gospel, explain the gospel, I would question, do I genuinely understand it, and is it actually changing me? We should be able to communicate it. Paul has spent four chapters of Galatians explaining what the gospel is and how we're transformed by it, that we are saved um, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That Jesus plus absolutely nothing else is everything that we need. Well, now we get to Galatians chapter 5, and Paul kind of turns a corner. And now he's going to begin diving a little bit deeper into why Jesus did this, and how, as it is changing you and I, it begins to impact other people's lives through ours. All right? Everybody with me? 
great. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And if somebody, uh, one of you guys could bring me one of those bottles of water, that would be totally amazing, because I promise I'm going to get real heated up. All right, here we go. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Paul has said so far that Jesus Christ, oh, thank you, sir. Greatly appreciate it. Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, has set us free from a lot. All right, but I want to key in for just a minute on a couple of things specifically that Paul has said we're freed from. First of all, Jesus has freed us from empty religion. Jesus has freed us from empty religion. If your religion, your relationship to God and with God is not flowing from hope, joy, peace, that's not what it's rooted in. That's not what it's coming out of. And then in turn, if it's not also overflowing or producing hope, joy, peace, uh, there's a good possibility that it's empty, that it is not rooted in the good news of Jesus Christ. And what Christ has done has freed us from being slaves to things that we just do for any purpose to achieve something. It's all about what it's rooted in and what it's producing. He's freed us from empty religion. He has also freed us from fear-based behavioral modification. Now, at this point, you may be saying, wait a minute, Brian, I've been here the whole stinking series, and Paul does not use those words. You're absolutely right. He doesn't. But he says this. He says this because if your base motivation in what you're doing in your religion, your relationship to God and with God, if your base motivation is fear, then what's going on is you're trying to change your behavior so that God will love you or so that God will accept you or so that others will approve you. And here's the thing. If fear is your motivation, then you are still a slave. You're still a slave. You're still living as a slave. The key here is if you're trying to change your behavior so that rather than because of. So here, walk with me on this one. I wake up this morning and I think to myself, I really desire, I really want to obey God today so that he will love me and accept me. Or I wake up today and I really, really desire and hunger to obey God because he has already perfectly loved me in and through Christ Jesus. See, there are only a couple words difference in what I said here, but there is a chasm in between what I just said. Because one is driven from fear, the other is driven from love. And you can't be driven, your motive can't be fear and love at the same time. It just doesn't work. Jesus has set us free from these things. Paul says he set us free for freedom. So this echoes what we talked about on Easter. Jesus has not only set us free from these things, he's also set us free to some things as well. So let's kind of rehash what have we been saved from. We hit a couple of things right there a minute ago, right? 
Uh, we've been freed from empty religion. We've been freed from the motive of fear. Um, we've been freed from hell. That's pretty significant. We've been freed from the wrath of God, which each one of us deserve because we are sinners. We've been freed from condemnation. We've been freed from slavery to sin, set free. But we've also been freed and saved to some things as well. What have we been saved to? Well, we've been saved to walk as sons and daughters of God. We've been saved to the inheritance of the kingdom of God. We've been saved from condemnation, hopelessness, to walking in abundant life. Not just eternal life later, abundant life now. We've been saved to God's constant grace and mercy, which the scriptures say that he lavishes on us. You know who else in your life lavishes? Nobody. Is anybody lavished on you lately? Probably not. God is the great lavisher, if that's even a word. And so Paul says, because of this, stand firm. Look with me back in verse one. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. If you have been freed from these things and you have been saved or freed to these things, then don't get pulled back into slavery to the things you've been set free from. It's pretty plain and simple, right? But what happens is a lot of times we allow that to happen. And you know what the scriptures say about that? The scriptures say that when we do that, we are like a dog returning to its vomit. Have you seen this? It's pretty gross. Because I've actually watched my dog throw up, and then they kind of like walk around like, hey, I'm not messing with that. Right back on over. Oh, hey, look, somebody left this here. I should eat this. It's disgusting. And the scriptures say when you and I are set free from sin and we just travel right on back to the things we've been freed from, that that's what it looks like. So you don't want to be that dog. Stand firm. When Paul says stand firm, he is speaking into the character of Jesus because he is explaining to us that Jesus not only saves us, he sustains us. He didn't just save me back then. He continually sustains me that I might walk in victory over sin. And so what this leads us to understand is we don't ever move on or graduate from the gospel. We don't. I think a lot of us grew up and now we kind of think, oh, that word, that was for back then when I was like a baby Christian. No, not at all. That's not what's going on here. Because the gospel, it keeps awakening our hearts and transforming our minds and changing our lives. But some of us, although we've been Christians for years, are somehow not standing firm in this truth. There are some of us that even though we may have been a believer for years, we are not daily standing firm in this truth how do I know this? I know this because there are some of you here this morning who are still trying to earn the love and favor of God. 
there are some of us here who are still, maybe even without intending it, we are depending on our flesh to somehow make us right with God. And the worst part of it all is, is that those of us who are doing this, we're dragging other people into this pit with us. And I would hope that maybe somebody here this morning is going, whoop, time out. How do I know if that's me? Because I don't want to do that. Here's what I would encourage you to do is to prayerfully consider this question. Are you walking in the freedom and the hope and joy and peace of the gospel? Or are you walking in something else? Think about life on a daily basis. Because here's the deal, friends. We're going to walk through days where we are overcome with frustration, anger, anxiety, fear, whatever it may be. And we know because of Jesus, we can lay those things at the foot of the cross. And yes, we, we somehow cast them down. We, we walk through that. We're going to have those days. But I'm, I'm asking you to prayerfully consider what your days, when you just keep stacking them up, next to each other look like? Are you walking in that freedom, in that hope? Or or are maybe you walking in constant fear of, am I making God mad? Is God okay with me? Uh, Where do I stand with God? Are you walking in joy? Because I have to be honest with you that I meet some Christians that I'm fairly convinced that they've walked in bitterness so long that they don't even see the bitterness anymore. Are you walking in peace? Or is your life constantly overwhelmed with chaos and anxiety? And again, I don't ask you that this morning as the judge. I ask you that as somebody who loves you, who don't, I don't want you to walk there. (laughs) All right, we made it through one verse. (laughs) We should probably keep going. Because we have 14 more. Don't get all anxious. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, Paul says. Verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, if you're new this morning here, or maybe you've not walked through the scriptures, I would hope somebody at this point says, whoop, time out. Why all of a sudden are we talking about circumcision? Kind of weird. Well, refresher here. Paul's writing this letter because the Galatians came to faith in Christ and some Jews, some Judaizers came in after him and basically said, yeah, that's great. You do need Jesus. You need to be a Christian, but you also need to be a Jew. And so here are all of our rules and circumcision is one of those. So get it done, fellas. And there's a lot of conflict going on within these Christians now. All right, but here's what Paul is really saying. For those of you who are convinced that living by the rules is somehow going to make you more right with God than you already are in Christ, Christ will be of no advantage to you. See, if you still think that the rules can somehow make you a little bit more right with God than you already are in Christ, what you're saying is that really you and I, let's be honest, we should have just tried a little harder. Because if we had just tried a little harder, then Jesus wouldn't have had to go to the cross. That would be the greatest 
most ridiculous tragedy in history. But you and I know that that's not the case because it didn't matter. We were never going to be able to work hard enough. He says, Christ would be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Paul is again reiterating what he has said multiple times before. If you want to live under the law, understand that you've got to keep the whole thing. And it's eventually going to exhaust you, wear you out, and ultimately it's going to crush you. I have to tell you guys, I had this great clip from Andy Griffith to show you this morning, and I I had to pull it out. I'm going to post it online later so you'll see this. I know many of you have seen it before, but I wanted to share it with you this morning because here's why. I believe one of the greatest examples that we have visually to watch of what it looks like to live under the law is Barney Fife. It really is because here was a man who, his, this character, was obsessed that everybody obeyed the law right down to the nitty gritty. But you know what always happened to Barney is the Barney would mess up and then it would come back and crush him. And there's this great episode where Gomer's running down the road going, citizens arrest, citizens arrest. I'm going to post it later and you're going to watch it and it's going to be great. But it's a great visual for us of what it looks like to live under the law. It's ultimately going to crush you because you will never be able to keep it all. It won't happen. And if you live this way, verse 4, Paul says, you are severed from Christ. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. You are either believing that Jesus' death and resurrection um, just wasn't enough to atone for your sin, or maybe you're thinking, God just can't possibly have that much grace and mercy. And you might say to me this morning, Brian, I, I, I just can't believe that God would have that much grace and mercy because you don't know where I've been and what I've done. And what I would say to you this morning, my friend, is you need to stop being so impressed with your sin. I mean, let me say this. I think that some of us this morning need the Holy Spirit like a wrecking ball to pound through our life and convict us of sin so that we would stop walking there. But there are some of us also who need to stop thinking that we're such a great sinner. And here's what I mean. If you somehow think that your sin is greater than God's grace and mercy, you're fooling yourself. I mean, is God's grace amazing or do we need to change the song? Nobody wants to sing about like God's somewhat mediocre, semi-good grace. It wouldn't sound good and we just don't really want to sing about it. Why? Well, because there is something within us that testifies, I am a wretch. And semi-moderately good grace, that's probably not going to cut it. I need amazing. And that's what God is. And so I, I honestly get a little wired up when I talk to people and they're like, man, you just don't know what I've done. I'm like, come on now. We're talking about God. Jesus bled and died and rose from the dead. 
Not so that he's sitting up there going, oh my gosh, did you see that one? Don't be so impressed with your sin resume. Okay? Verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You'll notice Paul doesn't say that what counts is merit working through works. That's not what he says at all. He says here, look, circumcision, uncircumcision, doesn't matter. Paul is saying, I don't care where you've been, where you haven't been, what you've done, what you haven't done. I don't really care what brought you here. What matters is what's happening now. Faith, your faith that God has given you and allowed you to have, faith working through love, his love in Christ Jesus. That's what matters, faith working through love. Now look at the next verse, verse 7. Paul says, you were running well. You were doing so great. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You were walking in obedience. Paul says, hey, who came along and shoved a stick in your spokes and flipped you over the handlebars? What tripped you up here? What happened? I don't know if you're catching the whole of what Paul is trying to stick in front of the Galatians. But essentially, what he's saying to them is, he's asking this question, what's, what's tripping you up? What's keeping you from obeying the law? But here's what he's actually saying. What's keeping you from obeying the law, what's keeping you from walking in actual obedience to the law, is this idea you've been deceived with that you have to obey the law so that God will love you. Somehow someone has derailed and sidetracked you. The point is, when we try to obey God so that, we are always going to fail, we're going to fall short, and you know what? We are going to be so disgusted and keenly aware of it. We're going to live in misery. But when we desire to obey because we understand that God's love for us is already complete in Christ Jesus, then we just long to walk in obedience and pursue holiness because we know Jesus has done this for me. Verse 8. This persuasion is not from the one who calls you. This idea that you bought into, this is not from Jesus. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Let me translate that for you into our language. A little bit of false gospel will infect everything. A little bit of bad teaching will infect everything. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. I love when Paul says stuff like that because you and I go, man, that's kind of arrogant. Not really. That's just Paul. Because Paul, Paul's telling them the truth. I, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Brothers, if, if I'm still preaching circumcision, if I'm preaching this stuff they're preaching to you, then, then why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. If obedience to the word of God is for any other reason than gospel-driven love, then it is not 
from Christ. And if it's not from Christ, we ought to prayerfully consider for about two, three seconds, where would that be from? Paul says, whoever is seducing you and leading you back into slavery, I wish they would emasculate themselves. Um, If you don't know what that means, you're going to need to go home and Google it because I'm not going to get into it on the platform. But this is probably one of the strongest scriptures in the Bible. It is definitely one of the strongest things that Paul ever writes. But I want to say this to you this morning. I do not believe that Paul's motive in what he just said, I do not believe that he is speaking out of hate or vengeance toward these false teachers. I believe that he is speaking out of this all-consuming, overwhelming love for the Galatians and for the people of God. Because he wants no one to be deceived and lured away from the truth of the gospel. And not only what he says, but the tone of how he says it, it somewhat reflects what Jesus says in Matthew 18, 6. When he's got the children all around him and he kind of just speaks over the children for a moment to all the adults and he says, if anyone would lead one of these little ones astray, you'd be better off tying a boulder around your neck and dropping yourself off in the middle of the ocean. And Paul's saying the same thing, and he means business. Don't lead God's people away from the truth. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. How can we tell what our motivation is in our walk with God? How can we tell what it is that is driving us, motivating us? Paul gives us what we might call a little litmus test here. He says we can ask ourselves the question, how do you view other people? He's actually more specific. Because what he's saying here is that we should ask ourselves the question, how do you view and see and serve the people of God? See, think through this with me. Did you wake up this morning and think, oh man, I sure hope Brian has something good to say today. Because... I'm tired and I can't pay attention that long. And, you know, I can't wait to get out to lunch and I hope the music's good this morning. Uh, If they don't sing at least one hymn, I'm bringing a a stick next week. Uh, You know, and I got all these things to do today. Or or did you wake up this morning and think, "I I am so excited to be with the people of God today. And Lord, if you have a word for me, that would be, that would be great. But what I'm asking you to do more than anything is prepare my heart to serve your people today. What's driving you? Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, what? Somebody give it to me. Serve one another. In fact, you should look at each other and you should see your neighbor as more important than yourself. 
One of the most awesome things about the, the gospel is that it frees us to celebrate one another. When we live and we walk in the freedom that Christ brings to our life, we actually begin to long to make much of other people because I see what Christ is doing in you. And I I think to myself, man, I want to see that Christ come out of my friends, of my family. I want to watch that. I don't want to make much of you for your ego or your pride, but because I want to see Christ welling up in you. We, we can genuinely begin to rejoice with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we see God using each other's lives for his kingdom. And, you know, I stop having to worry or think about making much of myself because, number one, I don't need that. But you're making much of Christ in me and I'm making much of Christ in you. And it just begins to cause all of us to, to well up. And when we are resting, and I use that word so importantly, and and Lee read it earlier, when we are resting in the knowledge that God loves us, cares for us, sustains us, walks with us, that he looks at our life and he sees us as righteous all because of Jesus, then we are set free to love and care for and comfort and walk with one another. But if you're walking in empty religion or you're walking in fear, none of what I just said will be present or true in your life. Because when you're a slave, when you're still living as a slave to the rules, what you ultimately want is for everyone else to be a slave as well. When you're still living as a slave, everyone walking in freedom, and this is going to sound weird at first, I will explain, but everyone else walking in freedom becomes a threat. And the reason that people are a threat is because every person walking in freedom while you're still living as a slave becomes this big gigantic mirror that's reflecting your heart right back at you. And you see just how poisoned it is. And you go, I don't want to be any part of that. And and you shouldn't. The old adage is, is true here as anywhere else. Misery loves company. And it's also the case when it comes to whether or not we choose to live our life in the freedom of the gospel. Or we still live in slavery to the things that we've been set free from. When fear is our motive. When fear is our motive, motive, ultimately, what we live for and aim for is to enslave everyone else. But when love is our motive, and not our emotional love, but when the love of God through Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, through our life, when love becomes our motive, what we begin to long for and desire for and aim for is we want to free and to serve everyone. Because I don't want you living in slavery either. And because of what Christ has done for me, I I just long to serve you. 
don't allow your flesh, I exhort you this morning, do not allow your flesh to pull you back into the things that you've been saved from. Don't allow your heart to seduce you away from the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus. Because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Over the last two months, we have been walking through the gospel prayer together. And I want to encourage you again this morning to take this prayer to heart. That we are able to pray, Father, in Christ... I believe there is nothing that I can do to make you love me more than you already do. And there's nothing that I have ever done that will make you love me less. Your presence and approval are all that I need for everlasting joy. And as we added just a couple of weeks ago that we would also be able to pray, Lord Jesus, as you have been to me, so I will be to others. I want to ask you just to bow your head for a moment. Would you pray that today? Father, I am believing today in Christ Jesus that there is nothing I can do to make you love me more than you already do. And there's nothing that I have ever done or could ever do that would make you love me less. Father, your presence and approval are all that I need for everlasting joy. Lord Jesus, as you have been to me, so I will be to others. Amen. I contend this morning that the death of Christ was not an attempt. It was an accomplishment. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, when one accomplishes something, it means somewhere they had to have an assignment. Well, what was the assignment? His name shall be called Jesus. For he shall save not attempt to save, not try to save, not hope to save, not want to save, but he shall save his people from their sin. Is that right? I said, is that right? Now I hear this. I hear this. I hear it on televisions. I hear it in churches. That God has done all he can do. The rest is up to you. If the rest is up to you, then he didn't accomplish it. If anything is up to you, he didn't accomplish it. I've even heard this. You've got to help God save you. He can't do it by himself. 
If God cannot do it by himself, then he didn't accomplish it. He's a false God. He's a liar. And you best not trust him. If he didn't do it, then we ought to stop singing, Jesus paid it all. Saying he paid some of it. Now, brothers and sisters, if he did not accomplish it, we are here in vain. And you can have all the religion you want. If this was not accomplished, we're going to hell. It's just that blunt, it's just that simple, it's just that clear. But if he did do it, he doesn't need your best and your works need not speak for you. If he did do it, you can leave here rejoicing that your sins are now under the blood. And he stands as your substitute, your mediator before God this morning, pleading the blood, pleading his blood, that perfect sacrifice, that holy attainment, he's pleading the blood. You can rest that all of my sins are under that blood. Did he accomplish it? Did he fail? Do we need Mohammed to come after him? Do we need another prophet after him? I declare this morning, he paid it all. He paid it all. Every drop of it, every sin I was going to commit, every sin I thought about committing, he nailed it to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. Let's stand and worship. for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.